We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rotoviz Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. It is the Super Bowl week edition of the show. It seems like not that long ago, Sean, that we were looking ahead to the NFL season. Now we have two teams left battling it out for the Lombardi Trophy come this Sunday. So it's going to be a fun week as people start to give their opinions obviously on the game and we will be doing that a little bit later in the show we'll also be looking back a little bit at the games obviously the conference championship games and we're going to look a little bit at running backs and how the strength of schedule affected their fantasy performances in 2018 and how it may affect perception and adp in 2019 so looking forward to today's show we have had a week off in between the show at the moment bi-weekly so we'll be having a gap in between each week so we may throw in a bonus show here and there so uh, it's always it's always fun doing the over time podcast for all the listeners but sean since we last talked it is a situation where we both were on the chiefs we were excited you as it more as a fan me more from the betting perspective it didn't work out for either of us and we yet again have the new england patriots back in the super bowl facing off against the rams who obviously haven't been there in quite some time that game ending with its own calls that uh, i'm sure everyone has well documented at this stage but we sat we watched and uh, the chiefs got off to a slow start and just uh, didn't get it all made back up when they got it to overtime so disappointing as a as a chiefs uh, follower yeah are they are they having the super bowl i was kind of under the impression that with <laughs> 
the call in the Saints Rams game and the fact that the team everyone wanted to see from the AFC is not going to be there that maybe they had just decided to uh, forgo that contest this year yeah i think <laughs> i'm sure around kansas city that might be the way and the people in new orleans i know it's never nice when you lose in a situation like that but uh, they're pretty i don't use this word often it seems a little bit too too young for me but there's a lot of salty people on twitter after that result a blatant uh, no call but um you know the, the game i was more disappointed about overall was that chiefs game um uh, I, I obviously was on the Colts bandwagon and uh, I had some money down on them and obviously the Chiefs put them out and uh, I went there and I had the, the Chiefs quite heavily backed against the Patriots so I've been on a, a no a no win situation uh, so far here and we may as we do our picks for the Super Bowl later in the show I may be going against the Patriots again so they probably will come back to haunt me yet again but we're going to talk a little bit about those games Sean just a brief recap uh, here so let's jump in to the second quarter. So, Sean, obviously we've kind of teased on it. Um, the, the Patriots did get the win over the Chiefs. It was a, an interesting game based on based on pretty much uh, overall strategy. You have to, even though it's disappointing, take your hat off again to the Patriots. You know, six or seven weeks ago, uh, it wasn't a situation where I thought the Patriots would be making it back to the Super Bowl. And they have uh, once again uh, been able to deliver and uh, prove to be consistently very, very strong when it gets to the tough situations. But uh, they had almost 100 plays in this game on offense, including overtime. Very dominant. They had a, a drive against the Chargers, which was their longest drive, I believe, not even off the season, but off the, the Brady-Belichick kind of reign there. And they had their opening drive again. This this game against the Chiefs was even longer than that char- drive against the Chargers. So really dominated uh, time of possession um, and throughout the game, obviously led the whole way uh, in this one up onto the fourth quarter. And then, and then just that fourth quarter was crazy with the, the amount of points that was put up. But the interesting thing that uh, you noticed uh, in your article this, this past week was talking about the Patriots having those 100 players but then uh, surprising to see that Julian Edelman only had 10 targets out of the 100 he was heavily involved in the game there was the kind of controversial fumble that uh, obviously was overturned then led to the next play where he tipped it and it was intercepted so there was a lot of interesting parts but what was your takeaway in terms of uh, distribution of targets both on uh, obviously the Patriots side where I've mentioned Edelman but um, Sammy Watkins then leading the way in terms of uh, targets for the Chiefs and uh, Tyreek Hill really and truly bottled up in this one yeah, you mentioned the number of plays, and the Patriots, when you include overtime, had 94, which uh, certainly any time a team runs that many snaps, they're going to have some uh, fantasy points to spread out to their their various skilled players. In some ways, it was surprising that Edelman only had 10 targets. He lassoed seven of those for 96 yards. But when you drill down a little bit further, one of the things that the Chiefs really struggled on was third down. Now, they, they actually played fairly well on the first two downs, especially for them uh, created a number of third downs for the Patriots but continued to allow them to convert those especially on that final drive uh, there in the fourth quarter where the Patriots took the momentary lead before the Chiefs tied and then obviously you have the, the devastating drive in overtime but when you look at those third down plays we go to Edelman being the guy and catching all four of his targets in that situation on the other side of the ball you have Sammy Watkins uh catching all three of his targets 76 yards actually you know tripled up his expected points in those situations 
the game here was interesting because obviously the Patriots were able to shut down Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey and only four catches for 65 yards. Uh, so the question I have for you with Edelman there clearly being the guy Chris Hogan was involved did have a, a key drop in my opinion had another drop that was not overturned it was uh, you know obviously looking at this through a very biased lens but it was difficult to understand how they were using the the replay and the replay standards of indisputable evidence when you look at uh, the overturned fumble slash non-fumble and then the, the Hogan catch Hogan obviously secondary piece Edelman is the guy how big of a key will he be against the Rams and can they stop him when it matters as the Chiefs did not there's there's no doubt about it I think uh, Edelman's likely to be the key I think him and, and James White both will be the key for the Patriots as we probably dig a little bit deeper in it towards the end of the show previewing it but I, I think the element where he is is obviously getting the ball out of Brady's hands quick and I think we've seen it against the Chargers and I think we're going to see something very similar um, in terms of their game plan against the the Rams and that is to try and get the ball out of Brady's hands quick because obviously uh, Sue and Donald will be coming towards Tom Brady we know in terms of his pocket movement is very good but if he has to escape the pocket or come off that spot it could be uh, a long night so getting the ball out and Edelman is a key part of that and the the part that impressed me you know watching that game was the the overtime with uh, the, the third down conversions to uh, Edelman just uh, laser focused by Brady it was one of the, one of the more impressive drives I've seen uh, by any quarterback over the last couple of years so I have to take my uh, hat off hat off to them there um, the the interesting thing will be how to stop them can they do it I'm not quite sure they can in terms of the secondary it'll be interesting to see how they do it in terms of the linebackers but you know when you get to the Super Bowl it's uh, something that there's no doubt the Rams are going to be focused on if we're talking about it here in the podcast they're going to be heavily focused on it but I, I do think uh, the key of this will come down to both Edelman and as I mentioned uh, James White the the interesting thing that I thought as well was you mentioned the the fumbles and the, and then obviously the catch by Hogan I, I thought the catch by Hogan was the more likely to be overturned uh, obviously they both uh, upheld but I did think from the TV angle I thought it didn't seem like Edelman did actually fumble uh, obviously the 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 punt or the the punt return but um, then obviously it kind of didn't really matter all all that much when it was intercepted on the next play so that one was the interesting one. i thought the hogan one could have been could have been overturned in terms of uh, overall plays uh, to flip it back to you sean in terms of uh, the players that impressed me in this game and who did impress me over the last couple of weeks and that was uh, sammy watkins and um, how do you think his performances over the last couple of weeks obviously he was injured um injured i believe actually he may have been injured for for the last five to six weeks of the regular season but when he has played he kind of had a, a good good numbers overall in terms of targets per game receptions per game and uh, yards per game so what's your thoughts on uh, Watkins as we head towards 2019 do you think he could be somebody who can have a, a step forward he's such an interesting player and the last couple of weeks were exciting for him you can see what he means to the offense especially against good defenses and you know we'll talk about this a little bit later uh in the the season when we look at at some of these strength of schedule issues the chiefs actually did have a very difficult strength of schedule that patrick mahomes tore apart for the most part there and when he's out they're not as explosive there there are a lot of us uh perhaps not me quite as much since i watch the chiefs so frequently and in, in more detail that i've got a pretty good sense that chris conley and demarcus robinson are not guys who are going to make it as uh, serious nfl players but there's uh, you know always been this 
section of the fantasy community that wanted those guys to get a chance wanted to see them step up certainly wanted to see them you know with a good quarterback like Patrick Mahomes and they fairly consistently failed to make the necessary plays now Connolly did have one big game you know filling in Uh, Robinson had the one long touchdown but if the Chiefs don't have Watkins available to them then they really have to go out and add some more pieces so that they have some guys behind hill and kelsey for the very reasons that we saw in this game now watkins when he's healthy can certainly be that guy he looked actually more explosive and more of a threat in these playoff games than he had during the regular season uh, before the injury so he may have been back to pretty close to full health certainly may have had a better feel for the offense or may simply have not received the same level of defensive attention because after that injury the defenses are not taking him as seriously and certainly at this point you know hill and kelsey are going to see an incredible amount of defensive attention now most teams will not be able to take them away you can't take away two guys who are that good especially in the context of this offense but Watkins being that third guy and then potentially having a running back emerge you know the offense should continue to be unstoppable so i like watkins as one of those guys during the offseason where you're both buying and selling when you have someone who's a believer and wants to you know make a move for him especially if you can include it in a package where you get a really key guy back then i would do that but i would also put out some feelers you know try and buy a little bit if people are trying to unload on this game right so certainly i have him in a number of leagues i have him uh in the industry developmental dynasty league that wes huber runs i've talked about that a little bit in articles he's going to fall to my number seven wide receiver in that league and so probably looking more to sell him there and so you know if he's part of your core then it becomes even more important what you decide to do with him but he's he's one of those players he should be a lot of fun to interact with other owners on because you can just both buy and sell him based on price those prices should dramatically fluctuate just in individual leagues and also throughout the offseason the other interesting guy on the chiefs and we have also talked about this before is sort of a, a fantasy douche super sleeper uh damian williams whom he really uh, pushed heavily back when Williams was entering the NFL obviously this took quite a while to pay off but one of the things I think you have to give Williams credit for is during all of those dark days in Miami he never let himself fall out of the league entirely right and gets this opportunity with Kansas City in this game scores three different touchdowns you know he has a rushing touchdown he has two receiving touchdowns he's a big back with speed who can catch the ball right and so Based on his career to this point, it seems unlikely that he would suddenly emerge as a top 10 fantasy running back or even a clear starter for an NFL team. But there are certainly some things there. And on this season now, he was more efficient than Kareem Hunt as a runner, obviously much less volume. And a per game basis, he matched him in receiving volume. So even though maybe a little bit more of a part-time back than Hunt, although with the backups injured, he certainly did a very full role down the stretch here but matched hunt in receiving volume which is one of those keys in this andy reed offense i really think that there's a possibility in 2019 that the backs will be more involved in their receiving game and so colin we've talked about the possibility of tevin coleman joining the chiefs uh, there are some you know interesting connect the dots kind of elements there but 
with Williams, what he's done in the last month, a chance that he holds on to the starting position, how big a splash are the Chiefs going to be looking to make at running back with Williams sort of already in the cupboard? Yeah, and the first thing I just want to touch on is obviously the game, um, what the Patriots scoring on the opening drive kind of affected the outlook of the game. But I did think this was a game that the the Chiefs would need to try and run the ball to establish some uh, you know, time of possession because I thought the Patriots were going to go that route to try and keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands. And I thought they would have tried to you know get Damian Williams involved rushing the ball more. Obviously, just 10 rushes in the game. And I think part of that is just how that first half uh, developed for them overall. But you know you mentioned Tevin Coleman I think it is a distinct possibility the part you know that always worries me in situations like this is you know he had four years in Miami he pretty much you know I'm just looking here through his most rushing yards in the season was his last year in Miami 181 rushing yards uh, he had three touchdowns in 2016 uh, actually six touchdowns total three receiving three rushing but overall really pedestrian numbers and then he comes in pretty much you know didn't have any action really throughout the season up to the first kind of game that he had more than one rush was the, the game against Oakland which didn't lead to a, a huge amount in terms of production but from from week 14 uh, against the Ravens he had two touchdowns in that one rushing one receiving two touchdowns the following week against the Chargers at uh, one touchdown receiving against the Seahawks one touchdown receiving against Oakland goes goes then to the game against the Colts has one rushing touchdown again and then he obviously this week had three touchdowns total one rushing two receiving so since he's come in he has done nothing but uh, have huge production but the the part that I try and differentiate then is are we more likely to see what we've seen over the last five weeks of the season or are we more likely to see what we've seen over the first four years of his career and that's the part that can be difficult to adjust obviously the, the Chiefs got him to sign the contract uh, a couple of weeks ago and obviously that's looking like a, a very smart decision by them now in terms of having him locked down for a lower amount of money so the money that he's on is not starting running back money so it could be a situation where they still make an effort to get somebody like Coleman in there uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go with uh go with Williams heading into the season but I don't know if he can be somebody to to last the season in terms of his production so it might make sense to have that running back and Tevin Coleman and then have him also because uh, I, I don't think Spencer Ware is somebody who's um you know in the plans and the way he has been used this season and um, when he hasn't been injured what's your aspect in terms of Tevin Coleman ending up there you know <sighs> I, I I honestly this season <laughs> defaulted a lot of my confidence. I was always a big Tevin Coleman supporter this season. I just didn't think he looked the same. Didn't think the burst was there. Um, and and you know I I I'm more of a seller than a buyer heading into 2019. Obviously, uh, where his landing spot is, if it is with the Chiefs, would change that. But I, I think as a dynasty owner uh, who I have a lot of shares of Tevin Coleman, I think if he landed with the Chiefs, I would actually be starting to sell him at that price i think he'll be hitting his high point i think it could be a situation similar to jerick mckinnon last year where he didn't have a huge amount of value got the move to the 49ers boosted up tremendously in value and that was the time to sell obviously we didn't know he was going to get injured but uh, the, the prices he was going for at that time so what's your thoughts on tevin coleman would you like to see it be a williams only backfield in 2019 and do you feel the same way as i do about coleman or do you still have that that belief in him heading into 2019 I'm still a believer in Coleman. I think whoever signs him will try to use him in the ways that he is most effective. We saw a couple of those big games at the end of the season where they were able to get him out on the edge. They were able to get him in space. And then he is very, very difficult to stop in those situations or uh, 
other side of it you want to look at it from a slightly different perspective he has so much speed and so much ability to take the right angle and make the one guy miss in the open field that he is a big play machine and for someone who doesn't have incredible lateral agility and doesn't have a ton of a pile pushing ability he's not a big tackle breaker uh, he does have that pass catching ability where he is a very intuitive receiver of the football runs his routes well and a team like the chiefs and even if it's not the chiefs i mean chiefs you know certainly would be a fantasy nirvana for anyone you know he it, that is an offense where it's going to be difficult for any running back even if you're sort of just the two-thirds of the committee running back but any running back in that chiefs offense is going to be a top 10 running back but there are other teams that have a similar need or would use him in a similar way any team that is going to throw him the ball get him the ball in space you know not have a lot of those plays that sarkeesian ran the last couple of years where you're banging into the line of scrimmage then you know in that environment coleman will be a big scorer and he certainly is the kind of guy with the current landscape of the nfl that a lot of teams will be looking for from a reality perspective but also just a lot of fantasy football owners will desperately want from a fantasy perspective now the disappointment of this season i think plays into the hands of of owners who are looking to acquire a little bit because certainly he's been a trendy guy he's been a buzzy guy that's gonna really get taken apart uh, as we look at his adp this offseason unless you know, he very quickly signs with one of the top teams i think you've got a window right now for leagues where trading is open to go ahead and make a move try to acquire him if you have a, a 60 70 you know 80 percent ownership on coleman you know that also is a time where you can sort of balance out that ownership percentage slightly cut your losses perhaps in a few leagues but he's certainly not a guy i'm selling at this point yeah i think um you made a, a very smart point there and it, it is a situation if you're looking to acquire him if you think uh, heading into 2019 it's going to be a big year for tevin coleman this is now the time to acquire him because uh once that deal happens say if he lands with for example the chiefs obviously the the value then is going to kind of spike dramatically so it's a case i think if you're looking to buy him and acquire him ahead of the season i think now is the time to make those offers i think then if you're looking to sell him uh, i would be holding off until he signs with the team so i think that's a a good thing to keep in note uh, we've obviously talked a little bit about the the patriots and the chiefs we're going to check a little bit in on the rams and the saints game now but as somebody else who's really impressed me sean just before we move off those two is uh sony michelle over the last kind of couple of weeks of the season has really been a driving force for that patriots offense and he wasn't somebody that i was buying heading into the season and even in the midpoint of the season it didn't look to be going to be a successful year for him but over that stretch uh, especially in the, the playoffs he has really been a dominant force for the, for the patriots and they, they've really put a, a heavy workload on his back and he's been able to deliver with a quite a large <laughs> a number of touchdowns and quite a good yardage total as well so he has impressed me uh, over the last couple of weeks looking at the saints then against the rams let's let's skip over the the call sean uh, we don't want to anger if we have any saints fans listening it's possible the saints fans out there may have uh, st- turned off all football aspects for the, the next couple of weeks but um in this one we've seen again cj anderson led the way we've seen todd Gurley limited in terms of what he was able to do did get a touchdown but it uh, was on the sideline for the majority of the second half and different reports coming out about him we have uh, ingram and kamara obviously at the running back position but 
the the two backs that you would expect to have the big work here were Todd Gurley and also Alvin Kamara. Um, and you know that this season they they kind of blew blew the doors off in terms of the running back position but they were held to 12 carries for 25 total yards Gurley had 6.1 expected fantasy points uh, he also had the, the touchdown that I mentioned but he also had the tipped ball that ended up being an interception very early in the game for the Saints so Alvin Kamara as I mentioned uh, still still in terms of this production was very very limited um, I think that's something the Saints would be regretting at this stage but next season heading into it likely to be uh, another guy a candidate for the top scoring running back he's definitely somebody who sean i'm interested in heading into the season and part of that is uh, if you want to check up on uh, his old buddy your old friend mark ingram's uh, status heading into next season he is an unrestricted free agent um, i'm sure that's uh, like music to your ears sean but uh, it's all aboard the uh, alvin kamara train once again unless they uh, they pick up another year for uh, mark ingram what's your thoughts on kamara heading into the season or are you surprised that at how little he was used in this one well any game like this and certainly when you lose and you go back and are asking what we could have done uh, other than having the officials make different calls you have a situation <laughs> where you know ingram out carries him now ingram also outperformed him on the ground so from that perspective you can't just look back and be like oh well you know if Kamara had had more touches i mean ingram was more efficient as a runner so from that perspective you're not necessarily arguing that the saints made the wrong choice with the exception of the fact that just having Kamara more involved in the game overall speeds up your offense gives you more opportunities he has eight carries for just 15 yards but perhaps you know on that ninth carry he breaks a big one the 10th carry he breaks a big one you know one of the things that you want to have with these running backs with the big playability is you have to give them enough chances to break that big play the other element obviously saw is that while all the rest of the running backs outside of uh, getting into the end zone were shut down because of their lack of impact in the passing game Kamara still ends up as as the heavy touch guy because he has 11 receptions for 96 yards and so his floor on a full season basis is so high because of those receptions i really think the saints will look at a christian mccaffrey and ask themselves why they didn't just simply stick with what they were doing in the first month this idea of using ingram to slow down the game of using their defense which is suddenly you know much better now than it was a few years ago in the extreme shootout age for the saints the saints seemingly have gone too far back in the other direction where they really want to manage some of these games they want to rely on the ground game you want to rely on the defense but one of the things that happens in those environments is you create closer games right you create more third downs for your offense you don't score as many points and when you don't score as many points the games simply are closer and that creates a situation like this where one bad call and you know especially an excruciatingly bad call will kill you now you're playing the the los angeles Rams, so you're playing an elite team and you say well this game is probably going to be close regardless but you don't want to create that environment in any game that you don't need to certainly the week before they have to really fight to come back and defeat the eagles now perhaps the eagles are also you know one of these teams on this top level but if you're the saints and you have the firepower that they have you want to create a team much more like the kansas city chiefs even with the chiefs having lost than you want to be what they actually were at the end of the season and so looking forward i think it's, it's still very promising for camara very promising for michael thomas now in this game where he gets shut down 
the Saints don't have as much to fall back on. So as opposed to, you know, re-signing Ingram or bringing in another running back to fulfill that role, I mean, one of the questions really with the Saints is, are they going to use someone in that role regardless? Now, in that, those first four weeks of the season, they didn't. And Kamara put up the huge, huge numbers. But there are reasons to believe that that wasn't something that they saw as a full season plan anyway. So, you know, is it more like what the Panthers did? And, you know, going into the season, most of the questions surrounding Christian McCaffrey were just simply how much he would touch the ball because owners expected CJ Anderson to get the kinds of touches that Mark Ingram got throughout most of the season for the Saints. That didn't necessarily happen, even though the Panthers struggled. Those struggles were on Cam Newton, they were on the defense, they were on the passing game. They certainly didn't result from the fact that Christian McCaffrey was very heavily involved. Right. So in terms of what the different cause and effect situations are, I certainly think that Camara needs to be that guy for the scenes. And when they add, they have to figure out how to either develop Traquan Smith or bring in that number two receiver from the outside so that they can have some help for Michael Thomas. Yeah, I think that makes all, all very, very good sense. And when we look at it then, I guess we'll look at from the perspective we talked about Tyreek Hill was kind of bracketed coverage against the the Patriots uh seen you know in terms of what we would expect from him a very very low day in terms of result and they did also slow down Travis Kelsey he did have a touchdown when we look at then the the key matchups um uh between the, the the Rams and then the Patriots on the offensive side it's going to be very interesting to see how first of all uh Gurley is implemented into the game plan was it down to an injury was it down to just not playing well I haven't heard many people talking about it but when he actually scores that touchdown at the end of the first half um after that when he gets up he is not walking correctly I I don't care if it was that he had an injury prior or if he got injured on that play but if you look he kind of had a, a little bit of a hyper extension of his knee and I haven't heard it talked about in too many places and I think that uh, that second half that he likely wasn't uh, fully able to play I don't think there's any way you would have not have been there even if it was that they thought that Anderson was playing a little bit better so um, in this situation it was be interesting to see how he's implemented I think that puts a, a lot of stress on the Patriots defense if he can be a full go um, in this one but it's interesting to kind of note who can uh, affect the Patriots in terms of where that coverage goes obviously they had Brandon Cooks there who they traded to the Rams so they kind of know what he can do it's possible that they do try and play him in a similar role that they did with Tyreek Hill based on the speed option I think Josh Reynolds has had a, a pretty solid season overall and he had a big day against the the Saints so I, I think he's somebody who could be a an interesting character but Robert Woods who uh obviously we've talked about a couple of times this season has had a, a very good season but has had uh, one of his lower scoring games uh, in this past one so how, how do you think it breaks down we've seen a big play uh, from Gerald Everett in the, this past week where it kind of broke off on a boot action play where Goff was under pressure and they did make a big play happen but outside of that we've seen limited usage off the tight ends in this offense so where do you think the the, the Rams could attack this Patriots defense and, and who do you think is the the key cog in that machine to, to make it happen the Rams are so interesting for those reasons that you mentioned where they have a variety of directions that they can go and they have a less clear-cut uh, target for an opposing defense like the Patriots, the Patriots, as we know, their main approach is to take away the stars, let the lesser players beat them. If that happens, then they're more or less willing to live with it. Woods, Cooks, Reynolds, you've got some different profiles here. Obviously, Woods with the 10 targets in the NFC Championship game turns those into only 33 yards. Also has some rushing touches, but was not able to do uh, what he often does. 
you know, with those end around types of plays. Cooks, on the other hand, catches seven of his eight targets for 107 yards, and Reynolds made a few of the big plays during that fourth quarter flurry where he had a couple of huge catches for 54 yards just in that quarter and then you mentioned gerald everett he and tyler higby combined for six catches for 75 yards and a score against the saints they also might be looked at for a little bit more of the attack in this particular game if they can stay spread or they can stay multiple if they can continue to make the patriots contain all of these different weapons then I, I really like their chances, right? And, you know, you go back to what we've seen for so much of the season where Jared Goff really struggled uh, during that second half after he lost Cooper Cup, was not the same player, was making some really bad throws uh, in the previous playoff game, certainly let down fantasy owners who were in those playoff uh, formats, playoff time period, the race for the big money, that kind of thing. And the Rams had had seemingly gone away from him. They had the huge rushing numbers with both Anderson and obviously their star, Todd Gurley. But I don't think that the Patriots will let them simply run over them. This is going to be a game the Patriots make Goff win. And that's the fun question. I think that is what we'll see the real genius of Sean McVay in this one. Can Goff do what he did against the Saints again against the Patriots and so I would kind of throw it back to you ask you what do you expect from this young head coach quarterback combination in a Super Bowl environment yeah it's, it's interesting too like you know the, the I know we, we're trying to break it down and give uh, from kind of an analytical point of view but there's a lot of intangibles in this game where if you look at somebody like McVeigh versus Belichick Belichick's obviously been to the Super Bowl on so many occasions now um, you know they have that experience you look at Goff versus Brady just the experience and uh, being there done that and uh, has all the confidence in the world to back it up you know if you look at who's going to be 14 points behind in the fourth quarter and who's that going to affect there, there's no doubt potentially it could be could be Tom Brady but I would have to say that it's likely to be Jared Goff that that's going to affect more. Goff has impressed me um, this season. Obviously, if you remember back to his rookie season, people were kind of writing him off straight away. But even in that game against the Saints, there was a lot of things obviously going against him. They couldn't really uh, hear the play call and things like that. But he did, down the stretch, make some very, very talented throws, uh, one in particular to uh, Cooks over over kind of a, a leaping linebacker. So I was very impressed with how he handled it. Um, I, I think though for them to win this game I think I mentioned already about the, the running back situation I think Gardley's going to have to be heavily involved but I do think it's a situation where Goff is going to have to make those key plays on third down uh, obviously it kind of goes without saying but I, I think the, the big the big question here is going to be if they can get pressure to Goff because uh, Goff has been one of the poorer quarterbacks in the league when he has been pressured but when he has been given that clean pocket he has been uh, one of the one of the better quarterbacks so I think that's a key and the Patriots are a team who do tend to struggle to get a pass rush on a consistent basis without taking extra rushers uh, coming from the linebacker position or from the safety so that that is an area I'm, I'm interested to see I, I kind of have a feeling about this game that it could be one where we say after it well the Patriots are so talented at game planning they're they're so used to being in this situation and they've blown the doors off the Rams and they've won it comfortably or it could be a situation where 
like we're looking at uh, like McVeigh being a kind of offensive genius, what can he dial up on this? Because they they have just got enough done over the over that game against the Saints. It wasn't obviously going into the Superdome is going to be a hard situation, but it wasn't a situation where you thought, oh, this is absolutely amazing, and they're going to go in and do this against the Patriots. There's still those question marks there with how they finish the season, particularly after the bye week. But do we get the the, the pre bye week team or do we get the post bye week team? I think it's going to be uh, super exciting. But um, I, I think um, I think we're starting to see enough from Goff that I think he can stand up and deliver in this in this situation. And I think having those wide receivers who are talented enough to spread the ball around gives them an advantage that it's it's really hard to just pinpoint one of them to eliminate in this game. So it's going to be exciting, and uh, we're going to give our predictions just before we finish the show at the end. But uh, let's get uh, into talking about the running backs, and we're going to do that right after this. As a loyal listener to the podcast, you can still get yourself a 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass right now. It's available through the Rotoviz NFL podcast homepage. That is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. The season is almost over, I guess we'll call it. There is uh, one game left, but the offseason is just beginning. We'll be talking about all the draft prospects, all the offseason moves, and much, much more over on rotoviz.com. So gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools. And you can do that, as I mentioned, by helping support the podcast network by joining through the rotaviz.com forward slash podcast homepage. Get yourself a 30% discount right now. That is rotaviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. So, Sean, as we move on through the show, we're going to look at some of the good work that Dave Cabin has been doing up on the website. He took a look at some of the strength of schedules. And on this edition, we're going to be looking at the running back strength of schedules um, and calculating them. It's uh, one of those ones we hear about strength of schedule in terms of, um, you know, preseason and talking about how people expect the season to go. And obviously, then that switches out. But based, uh, it's a lot It's a lot more you kind know, of productive when you look back on it. But with the running backs this season, what were some of the things that stood out to you from Dave's research based on, uh, how we've seen running backs finished and our expect our kind of pre pre kind of conceived notions versus how the overall strength of schedule was based on the defense, right? And so you mentioned it, and I, it's such a crucial point that projecting strength of schedule can be very difficult. Now there are certainly some elements that you can figure out if you have a, a team that is projected to have almost entirely easy opponents versus almost entirely difficult opponents then perhaps even if those things come back into the middle a little bit you still have some advantages there certainly in the high stakes world people do take uh, strength of schedule very seriously and so it's not to diminish the value there but 
As you mentioned, I really like looking back on it and seeing how running backs would have scored if they had all faced the same kinds of defense. We often forget to look back and realize how much that defense really did affect the points that running backs scored as we're looking on to next year because certainly the defense, you know, you can see that after the fact. And to not take advantage of that, to not use that as a tool to help with your 2019 predictions, you know, that would be a big mistake. And Dave has done a fantastic job here. One of the things that he has done is that instead of simply using the points allowed to determine the difficulty of opponents to determine that strength of schedule, he's gone through and calculated using the specific running back matchups, right? And the points allowed above or below expectations so essentially looking at the the running backs a defense faced because when you're looking at points per game allowed if you're facing todd Gurley and alvin Kamara, christian mccaffrey and uh kareem hunt those guys ezekiel elliott over and over and over and clearly no team faces those guys every week but that's going to be a big difference as opposed to facing a peyton barber and maybe sadly even a david johnson some of those guys this year so dave has adjusted for that and has the results for us and the number one thing that stands out is that saquon barkley faced the most difficult schedule he faced nine opponents that ranked inside the top 10 two opponents uh twice with the fourth ranked washington team he had the second ranked bears the third ranked titans and yet he still put up this huge number now we'll contrast that to some other guys in a second but we've talked about barkley a lot obviously he was uh, not the storyline but one of the best storylines of this 2018 season and we debated in midseason we debated a little bit more toward the end of the season i told you at about the two-thirds point that i was moving him to number one on my dynasty rankings dave suggests that he should quite possibly be number one on your 2019 redraft rankings that's not even a controversial take but certainly looking at it in this light I, i strongly believe that a lot of people will have that or should have that for 2019 uh, are you buying Barkley now as as the number one guy in in this context or in light of this information? I, I think if you're heading in, I think it has to be a situation. Uh, and you know, I I kind of went against you on that because um, I went uh, with Gurley as uh, just slightly ahead of him. And obviously, what's happened in the kind of six weeks probably since we had that last discussion, um, things have changed a little bit. And it's interesting how your opinion can change based on uh, when a team, for example, isn't playing. So we haven't the Giants playing, we have. Uh, the Rams playing and our opinion of Gurley over the last two weeks might have changed a little bit and then our opinion may have changed again come this Sunday so it's interesting to try and balance that out because it's obviously a situation where the Giants weren't good enough to be in the playoffs and, and you're looking at the players and judging them based on when, when the other player isn't playing at all so it's always interesting to try and uh, balance that out but based on what he did uh, it was extraordinary in his rookie season and heading into year two and to look back and see the the, the run that he went on you mentioned there some of the teams um, I think you have to be looking at him as the, the the top running back heading into 2019 and I think that puts him based on how we looked at uh, kind of in the last couple of weeks of the season with how we expect the 2019 first round in terms of ADP to go I think if you're having him as a top running back you're having him as the the top pick overall so I would expect uh, I would expect Barkley to be the first overall pick and and pretty much the the vast majority of uh, redraft leagues when we get to the start of the season you know when it gets through the offseason into that time I think the, the buzz will be there I think he'll be the the consensus probably number one overall at that stage somebody who's interesting too and we did talk about him already and that's Tevin Coleman 
We talked about the situation in the preseason, about the zero RB possibilities. Devontae Freeman then went down with the season ending injury in week two. We thought this is time for liftoff, and it obviously didn't happen. He had around 12 points per game uh, playing uh, behind him, and uh, had 12 points per game this year, sorry, and last year had actually 11 points per game when he was playing behind Freeman, so it didn't really change all that much. Um, but in that situation, the Falcons did face the ninth most difficult schedule, so that might um, you know, affect that a little bit. Some players that would have stood out for me in terms of their average opponent rank, and that would have been, for example, uh, Green Bay this season had a, a situation where they didn't really use Aaron Jones enough early in the season, but they they were one of the kind of the top. Uh, they had one of the tougher matchups as the season uh, went on, and I think Aaron Jones proved to be very very strong in terms of what he was able to do. Um, when we look through it, Sean, is there anyone else that's standing out to you? Somebody who. While I, I think that he's obviously lost a step and he's getting older as Lashawn McCoy, but uh, the Bills had the, the fifth the fifth toughest opponent rank over the season. Do you think something like that did affect how he did? And then somebody who I know is a favorite of yours, uh, on Johnson, um, the Detroit Lions uh, had the second toughest schedule. So d- did that affect any of your opinions on those players looking back at the season? Certainly in the, the Buffalo situation, I'm not sure that we can say that that was schedule, although certainly the schedule didn't help. But it's, it's more <laughs> the quality of their offense. And McCoy, so many different red flags for him at this point. Uh, it's interesting you bring up Carryon Johnson and the Lions. Uh, they, again, perhaps brought a lot of this on themselves by having an offensive approach where you're running, you're running. Suddenly we have third and long. If you manage to make it, then we're running or running. Suddenly we have third and long or simply we have a lot of third downs. And so those are difficult to convert. It keeps your guys further from the end zone, which is not what you want as a fantasy football owner, but carry on himself. Look fantastic. This is going to in all likelihood remain a run based offense. He's someone who is going to generate a lot of buzz for 2019 that may be tempered a little bit by the coaching staff, by the quality of that offense, but certainly a pretty clear buy. Even if you have to overpay just slightly, there are a lot of different routes that he could take to being a star next year. And, uh, you know, the best way to acquire him as well is probably to put him in a two man trade where you've got two guys switching teams on both sides, you know, try and camouflage your interest in him just a little bit. Uh, Dave mentions in his article, one of the guys that we were selling in the preseason selling pretty much all year and uh, perhaps a little bit of unfairness to some of the elements of it and that's Peyton Barber Dave points out that he had 15 carries and two targets per game but didn't manage to even score 10 points on a weekly basis but he faced the third most difficult schedule so it'll be interesting to see what Tampa Bay does there Barber had a couple of flashes certainly we've got our guy that no one wants to hear about anymore and Ronald Jones also at this point the strong possibility of further additions to that team the 2019 starter could very easily not be on the roster right now and a lot of changes happening in tampa bay but whoever comes out there that may be a position to target simply because there's going to be so much turnover or so much uncertainty in terms of how they attack this coming season do you like barber or do you assume this is just going to simply be a complete rebuild on the offensive side from a running back standpoint yeah, I think it's going to be a complete uh, switch up. I think, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to acquire him. I'm not looking to do anything with it. Um, it is a situation where 
let's just see what if Ronald Jones can make a change. We've seen players have you know really bad first years and then work things out. Probably not to the extent that they were um, inactive when they were healthy scratches uh, at large points of the season. But um, I'm willing to to just wait a little bit longer on that one. But um, you know, at this stage of this off season, I'd, I'd rather have Jones than uh, Barber. I think that's safe to say. But I, I think, as you mentioned, it's it's a chance that the the starter isn't even on this roster uh, at the current moment. Colin, let's go to the fourth quarter here and talk about some running backs who perhaps faced some easy schedules and might be sells at the same time. Uh, perhaps we simply want to be excited that they got those easy uh, schedules and continue to own them in light of the fact that we know the very top guys, like I say, Con Barkley can score regardless of the situation. So the flip side of Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, the second easiest schedule, uh, 14 carries, 20 points, 24 points per game. You know, the huge number of targets, 124 on the season. Uh, he seems very schedule uh, resilient in that it's not going to make that much of a difference who he faces. Dave points out that despite the average or the overall schedule that's very easily, he did face the sixth-ranked Saints twice, as well as the top-ranked Ravens, the fifth-ranked Steelers, the ninth-ranked Cowboys. So he's faced some teams that were good, and yet also some teams that were very, very easy that allowed him to have some of those monster, monster scores. We also have a situation where the Rams and the Saints had the seventh and the sixth easiest schedule. So maybe three of our top four guys for this season, or three of the top five, if you throw Elliott in there as well, looking on to 2019, perhaps Le'Veon Bell ends up in a good spot. So you have six but you have these three players who may have gotten a real boost, a real bounce from schedule. You mentioned that you were turning around a little bit on Gurley, seeing the injuries here. We wouldn't necessarily expect to see the kinds of injuries he's had carry over to the coming season, but certainly what they've done at this point opens the door for a little bit more of a timeshare just to keep him healthy, if nothing else. Clearly with the Saints, we have the potential timeshare. Is the fact that these guys benefited from positive schedules and might uh, be in very minor committees again i mean you're not expecting Gurley or camara to be in a true committee but might lose a few more of their touches does that really solidify barkley maybe even move ezekiel elliott into that two spot for you yeah i think that's a fair assumption you know when you look at it uh, looking at christian mccaffrey you know he obviously had a huge workload this year but even if you look at having uh, the 124 reception or targets sorry this this season he did have 113 targets as a rookie so you know you're not too far out there in terms of his average between the two years the big difference was uh in terms of the the rushes he did have 102 more rushes this year so it'll be interesting to see if he gets quite as many heading in but it was 219 rushes so we often hear about you know 300 touches in the season he did uh, go over the, the 300 but you know it's more balanced in terms of what he's getting work so i think we could see similar i don't think we'll see as high a usage but i think we could see similar uh, usage uh, heading into next season so i think christian mccaffrey um, is safe in terms of where he is um, but just some people might have some concerns based on if that usage can continue at that level not from an injury perspective but from just an overall team usage and uh, shout out to uh, cj anderson who was not able to get a snap uh, pretty much all season behind christian mccaffrey and now he's playing in the super bowl this weekend but that's a different story but looking at it it's interesting to note too 
you know certain teams that are in there pittsburgh were in there uh you know you have uh, the chargers for melvin garden you know looking through them just to see is it standing out that was it based on the player's ability or was it somewhat based on how poor the the offense was or the defense was on the other side uh, i think for somebody like kamara i think it uh, players off that ability I, I tend to go with players ability versus the defense they're playing uh, so they are players when you mention a, a Gardley you mention a Kamara uh, I, I just I just go with their ability rather than just purely on the defense they're the kind of guys that if they're going against uh, a top five defense on a weekly basis you might temper expectations but it's very unlikely that you're going to leave them sitting on the, the sidelines or sitting on your bench that week. Some of the interesting ones that are there are, for example, uh, the Oakland Raiders. Uh, the, you also have the, the 49ers. And the 49ers this year, you know, Breda had a, a pretty solid year, but they were chopping and changing all season long at the running back position. And maybe it's something on a different show that we'll talk about. But interesting to think back to when McKinnon, I mentioned him earlier in the show, was signed last offseason. He was going off the board in the second round. It'll be very interesting to see where that shakes off this this season heading and to see how much of a drop-off there is or if people do go back to that well another time but i think uh, overall uh, a very very good piece of work there by uh, by dave and uh, he has done all, obviously the quarterback situation already and he will be running through the wide receiver so on future shows we will be breaking them down uh, in a little bit more detail but uh, i thought a uh, fantastic fantastic work by dave uh, overall on this one and it's just a sample of some of the great work that you'll get over at rotoviz.com so with that sean let's jump into overtime let's give our super bowl predictions and let's see where we think the lombardi is going this sunday so sean super bowl this weekend and uh you know i i mentioned that i i've gone against the patriots a couple of times this season it has not fared well it doesn't usually fare well for betters going against the new england patriots but we're heading in here we have to pick our winner our score and maybe give a bold prediction so I, i'm gonna go with uh with the winner being the rams um i think they will step up to the plate in this one in terms of the game planning uh, i'm excited to see what mcveigh does uh, to be honest part of it in me as well is excited obviously i respect uh, the patriots respect the, the legacy that brady and belichick have just uh, uh, like in terms of you can talk about grits and then i think they they should even be on a level above grits uh, in terms of what they've been able to do but uh, i just uh, i just I, I like to see change and i like to see other people having that opportunity so i'm going to go with the rams and i'm going to go over the score and a high score night in 31 27 what's your expectation for it uh, are you are you rooting for the rams this week after what the, the patriots did to your uh, chiefs i will be rooting for the rams again mostly for the reasons that you uh, described they're not uh exactly an anti-patriots approach the patriots i think you have to have so much respect for what they've done not necessarily some of the things that perhaps were slightly outside the rules but the way that they've built the organization (laughs) the way that they get ready for every single week the way they have all 11 players playing to the whistle the the level of coaching the level of the players the fact that they have all those players buying in certainly a ton of talented players on that roster so uh, even when you're rooting against them i think that they're a team that you root against with a lot of respect as opposed to uh hatred or something to that effect i am going to select the rams i think that uh, my bold prediction will sort of give away the score here i think that legatron is going to knock down a 63 yard field goal as time expires and the rams who will have missed on a two-point conversion earlier in the game that will give them a final margin of 43 to 41 and uh, one of the most exciting finishes to a super bowl that we've seen (laughs) and uh when you look at this one i was just thinking too you know from a coaching perspective this could be a game where 
pretty much it's four downs on uh, most drives once it goes over the, the the halfway line they're both coaches who you know aren't afraid to to put it all on the line on fourth down situations so it's going to be uh fascinating from that perspective too you know just going for it and i, I really hope this one does lead to be a, a shootout and just have a, a hugely entertaining one for everyone watching um you know one thing always strikes me for a team like the patriots and what they've done is uh, I heard a saying many years ago, and it was, "You don't have to like, you don't have to like me, but you have to respect me." And I think with the Patriots, you don't have to like the Patriots, but what they've done, you have to respect. Uh, just the, the what they've done. You mentioned the work ethic, the teamwork, everything that goes into it. It's just incredible. So uh, you have to respect them, but that doesn't mean that I don't want them to lose this current week. My bold prediction is, uh, I, you know, it might not mean that bold of a prediction a couple of weeks ago, but. Uh, my bold prediction is Todd Gurley gets going here and uh, Todd Todd Gurley becomes uh, the MVP of this Super Bowl um, and uh, has, has a big, big day. So I, I'm excited to see what happens uh, for that Legatron uh, finishing it off after what he did. I think he, he, that, that the field goal uh, in overtime against the Saints would have been good, probably from about 70 yards. So um, he has a good shot with that. But Sean, with that, that's going to wrap up the, the Super Bowl edition of the show. I think there was a lot of fun topics on it. We broke down a lot of little interests and bits and pieces and we will be back, as uh, I mentioned at the start of the show, in two weeks' time. We'll talk a little bit about the Super Bowl. We'll look a little bit more at some of the, the work on rotoviz.com and break down uh, more interesting players, more interesting thoughts, and uh, go through it in detail. So that's going to do it for today's edition of Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. My co-host is Sean Siegel, who you can follow on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian. And of course, you can always subscribe to rotoviz.com. And until we're back with another show in two weeks, of course, enjoy the Super Bowl. Have a good time. And until we're back, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.